This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for GoBundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. We're here live still after many episodes at the Park City event for our Winter Mastermind, 10th Annual Winter Mastermind here for GoBundance. And I've got a guy sitting with me to my right that I got to know through our Emerge program, uh, but before that, learned of him through the One Life program, which Tim Rode, one of our founders, uh, created. Prepare to be inspired. Prepare to be blown away. He's a young guy. He's done a ton of stuff. He's an entrepreneur, a business owner, a landlord, a real estate investor, a father. All of that is now... But he went through some really, really difficult times with with addiction, with incarceration, with relapse, with with overdosing. I mean, it's going to get deep, folks. It's going to get really deep, and I think you're going to learn a ton and be inspired by this man. So, Sterling Shrout, welcome, brother. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Of course, man. It's good to see. You. It's good to see. You. How's Park City been for you so far? Love it. Yeah, everything about it. Is this your first GoBundance event? Yes, it is. I know you've been around Tim for a while, so I wasn't sure if you brought you to one or two of the others. So. No, this is, uh, he can bring me to all the rest of them, though, so I'll be so, here. So let's level set right now, very quickly, almost like statistically. So how old are you right now, and um, and uh, uh, where are you from? Yeah, so I'm 31 years old, and then from Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. All right, and that's where you still are? Yes. Okay, good. Now let's go back to the beginning. So tell us about uh, a little bit of your upbringing, which we just talked about, kind of went through the addiction process, but like, give us, give us the beginnings of you, and just tell us your story for a few minutes here, and we'll go from there. Yeah, so... You know, I was raised in a family, um, you know, parents split up when I was young. Um, there's some other religious parts to it. I don't really go into too much. Sure. Um, but I was raised in extreme poverty and that's not a stretch of it, uh, stretching it any, in any way, shape or form. Um, can you, can you describe this? Give me some conditions of, of what you, what you were raised in. Yeah. So when I was younger, we actually moved out, out West out here to Montana, um, and, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, a lot of times I would literally hunt for the meat we would eat. Um, wow. We, yeah, that was a, that was a part of our budget was, you know, knowing that I was either going to shoot a deer or, uh, hunt pheasant or, you know, things like that to supplement our, you know, food budget. Um, it was great. Um, yeah, my mom was a secretary at a chemical place, um, I think she made 10 bucks an hour mm-hmm. and she supported me and, and my brother for some time on that. So. Wow. All right. Continue. So you're, you're yeah. growing up in extreme poverty. You, uh, yeah. Continue from there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was very impressionable. Uh, and it's, it's somewhat of a joke, but somewhat not. Um, the movie blow, uh, with Johnny, oh, yeah. Johnny Depp or whatever, where he's taking imaginary or he's taking plants across imaginary lines or something like that. That was the only way I knew how to make, or the only way I thought that you could make big money, you know, it was like, oh, well, he sold drugs and look at the mansion, they're jumping in this giant pool and things like that. I didn't know anybody that made decent money. Everybody I knew was poor. So because of, you know, how I grew up um, economically, the things that um, I was able to do and or not do um, became kind of the, the friends I hung out with, um, the things that they fell into, I fell into, and that would have been drugs. And then being naturally entrepreneurial, um, 
I fell into selling drugs really early. At 15, I got, you know, um, I got five years probation. I got arrested for a pound of pot and like 10 guns. And this is going to be kind of a theme, but the guns weren't for gangster stuff. It was, you know, country life. Um, so 15, that happens. And that starts this big ball rolling of probation, court, you know, probation officers. That became my lifestyle. Um, sleeping with a bottle of urine because my, you know, my, my urine's dirty. So I've got the resource officer at the school's kid peeing in a bottle for me and you wow. know so i wouldn't fail probation and, um anyways we make it through that at, at 18 end up moving back to ohio where i live now in dayton and the people that the kids that i you know left at that time well guess what they that's what they're doing they're selling weed they're doing drugs and all that um i'm like hey i know this game and i take right back to it immediately yeah um it sucks to say I was good at it, but I was very uh, effective or efficient. You know, uh, ultimately they ended up selling drugs for me. Um, I surpassed them very quickly. I just wasn't street smart. I was 18, 19 years old. Um, that culminates with the ATF, um, a task force, some other groups uh, kicking in my door. I got raided for engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity for running a drug ring, um, aggravated possession of drugs, aggravated trafficking, and then possession of a dangerous ordinance because I had dynamite. Um, and the dynamite, that was more back to that country thing. It was, um, you know, I wanted to blow up a washing machine or something. It wasn't like, you know, a, a gangster. Sure, a sure, gangster sure. Thing yeah, no attempt to take down a building. or yeah. yeah, right, right. It wasn't some super malicious, you know, stick of dynamite. It's just... That's the weird stuff you trade for drugs. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. Okay. ATF kicks in your door. Kind of what go, take me from there. What happens next? Was there, was there, a, a, did you go through a trial? What did you, was there a, a, a plea agreement? Uh, Cause you were, I mean, that sounds like a pretty, pretty hefty charge. You're 18, you're an adult at this point. Mm -hmm. In my brain, I'm thinking, God, you had to go away for a long time. Yeah. So, well, they, they use that leverage point to try to get you to, to tell on other people. And, um, you know, at that, even at that point, I, you know, that was consequences of my own actions. Yeah. That and, you know, specifically, you know, they wanted me to, I think they called it wear the team jersey. Um, like, and I, and I asked them, like, how do, you know, I don't have kids, but like, how are you going to keep my kid from getting hit with a brick one day right. walking to school? You know, like, you know, in the future, like that's, that's not a realistic yeah. thing for me to tell on people. Um, so yeah, I was facing up to like 62 years in prison. I fought the case for like nine months. Um, basically they basically counted as my first offense because the first, very first one was a juvenile. Yeah. Um, and I did get it pled down to three years mandatory time. Wow. So right before I turned 20, uh, I went to prison and I got out right before I turned 23. This is maximum security. Uh, medium. Medium security prison. Yeah. Um, wow. When, when did you know you were, did it ever feel like you were out of control or because of the, how impressionable the movie blow, all of that was, this just like, nah, I'm, I'm killing it. Yeah. Um, and this, this theme will come up again in the future, but, um, you adjust to your normal really quickly. I think all people do, or all people are, are able to, you can adjust to uh, a new high, a new level of success, or you can adjust to a new level of fail, uh, failure mm. really quickly. And so I didn't, necessarily know that anything was out of the ordinary just living my life as ridiculous as that sounds um now after getting raided and fighting the case 
that was a very bad place mentally, emotionally. And that's where actually the first time I used heavy drugs, heroin, things like that. And that's, that's where that drug addiction really kicks in and not just the lifestyle or the, you know, means to support myself. Where's your, your, your mom or your dad and all of this? Like, are they, are they side by side with you as you go through some of the stuff? Were they aware of what you were doing? Uh, no, you know, obviously not obviously, but, um, yeah, parents have never done drugs. Um, raised Jehovah's Witness. Drugs weren't even a thing. Yeah. They were just bad. Um, my siblings, you know, my brother, he had, he struggled with drug addiction in the past. Um, yeah, that wasn't, this wasn't a family business by any means. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, where are they in terms of like, so their son is going through all of this. Yeah. You know, so are they, are they blown away? I mean, it sounds like they're, they're, they're kind of shocked maybe by, I mean, with the upbringing that you had, but like, were they, did they disown you or were they right there with you as you were going through all of these, these, uh, these issues, the trial, all of that stuff, not the trial with the, you know, the plea agreement. Um, obviously upset, you know, they don't, they don't really understand it or why would you do that? Or, you know, things like that, because at their generation, it was just like, Oh, you go, you know, you get out of high school, you go get a job, you make decent money, stay with the company, keep making decent money. Um, and even if you struggle, this isn't something you do. So it, it was a shock to him. Um, my dad was kind of, you know, here nor there with it, kind of how he always was. Um, but with mom, I know that was actually really hard for her emotionally and things like that. And she she actually made the effort while I was incarcerated to come see me regularly. Um, other than that, I didn't really see too many people. Gotcha. You're, you started getting into heavy drugs, it sounds like, while you were going through this nine months of fighting it. Mm-hmm. Is that the time frame when you really got deep into that that cocaine, heroin, all of that stuff? Yeah, that, that's when I, I mean, I was, I didn't even know I was strung out. Um, I was just, you know, back to that, this is my lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and then looking back, like I withdrawed in, um, well, I forget what the CRC or whatever, the Central Receptions, uh, Central Reception Center, whatever it's called. Um, I didn't even know I was withdrawing. I thought I was sick. Um, and, you know, I was very naive to drug addiction because I was very naive to drugs. Um, you know, growing up, I didn't know anything about them um, until I was a teenager and I sold them. And still, it's just whatever information you gather from experience. And, wow. Um, Did you need prison? I don't believe that anything good came from me going to prison. I believe it made this a lot harder. Um, and set me back farther. Go on on that. That's interesting. I mean, my mind, but the yeah. reason I asked that question was, unless I'm, I mean, maybe I have access, but uh, in prison, you at least would get clean, it seems, right? Or it would be harder to be, to be strung out. So maybe you can gain perspective or whatever, but, yeah. but tell me why it got yeah. harder. <laughs> um, yeah, so in prison, I um, had mandatory time. So if I did good, I did bad, it didn't matter. I got out at the same time. Um, I ate, uh, diabetics, nerve pills, uh, Neurotin, Ultram, Tramadol. I'm trying to think of the different names of them. Um, to get high, um, I cooked wine. At, you know, brewed hooch, whatever you want to, sure. whatever the term you want to call it is. Um, yeah, smoked cigarettes, whatever I could do to not just be focused on you know the the bad situation that is being in prison. Um, we partied as much as possible in there. Um, the people I hung out with weren't in prison trying to make themselves better. They were, uh, it's human warehousing, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people are in there for like child support or 
a majority, you know, drug crimes. Um, for me, I was really offended when I went because I didn't necessarily have, and I'm not saying that it was okay to sell drugs. I just, there wasn't a victim. So, you know, doing three years, I watched a couple different, you know, say sex offenders um, come in, get released, reoffend, and come back before, before you were. I could even be released. And, you know, it was because a, a psychedelic substance that I had sold that somebody disagrees with. Um, that's why I was locked up. Not because, you know, this person could say, he did this to me. Mm-hmm. He took this from me. He, whatever. And that's, that's its own moral scale of drug use and whatever. Yeah, and it's yeah. the same psychedelics that now we're getting research on that are like helping people. And it's, it's, that's a whole, <laughs> that yeah, whole yeah. thing. So No, I get it. I get it. So you said right before your 23rd birthday, you're released. Yeah. Um, and that, that was, that took me a long time to readjust to society. Um, I, you know, I specifically remember getting out and going to the gas station and just somebody standing too close to me. Um, like not giving me the, the distance that I was used to, um, Mm -hmm. from being incarcerated. Like somebody came and stand stood right behind me and I freaked out and asked them, you know, what the F their problem was. And, you know, like I I did not have, um, I was not adjusted to society um, at that point, Um, especially being that young and impressionable. I adjusted to that reality in there really quickly. Um, Actually, you know, and something I want to bring up, like you had mentioned how my parents were, my mom coming to see me um, to visits, things like that. That was huge. Um, That helped me a ton um, retain a little bit of, normal normalcy right. or whatever right um because other than that i'm in there with people who are this their third fourth fifth sixth tenth prison number like yeah. this is what they do now they get out reoffend, come back and that's just where they live um so you know i'm 23 i get out uh, i'm on post-release control because i because i'd served all my and, and <clears throat> I'm trying not to get too, you know, one-sided about the prison system or anything. No, it's okay. Um, this is your perspective. I want to hear your perspective. Def- yeah. <laughs> definitely my perspective. Yeah, 100%. Um, because I had served every day of my time, they, it would be double jeopardy to give me parole. Uh, I should have been released free and clear. Uh, well, the way around that, it's called post-release control. So they just renamed it, and it's it's parole, basically. So I'm on parole when I get out. Uh, which means there's stipulations. I have to, you know, I have nothing, but I have to figure out how to get, you know, 40 minutes away to my probation officer and or parole officer. Um, so then, you know, they want you to get a job, all these other things. Uh, I try to get a job at many different places. Well, when you just got released four days ago after years with no skills, um, it's harder to get a job. So I remember applying at uh, Chipotle. Yeah. And thinking like, you know, I'd like, screw it. I have to do something to earn money. Um, and, and it was like a, a, my self-worth. I let my self-worth go down. I thought I was better than fast food. Um, Chipotle wouldn't hire me. Um, and so at that point, I was like, okay, well, if society's going to reject me, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. Um, which at that point didn't know what it was, but it probably wasn't good. Um so I started hanging out with the old people I used to hang out with. 
Um, and then to numb those feelings of rejection and failure and hopelessness and all that, uh, fell back into the same hard drugs that helped me forget those feelings when I was fighting the, the prison case in the beginning. Plus it was the, you know, height of the opioid epidemic. Sure. So sure. everybody was not everybody. My circle of influence was strung out, you know, or my circle of friends. So. Wow. 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 Okay. Um, it takes a while to get better with the story or to it, get, no, no, this is good. <laughs> the, 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 part. Well, it's in my mind is like along the, I'm hearing these, like you said, these entrepreneurial, uh, uh, I don't know, inklings in there, despite all of what you're going through, like you, you like became the, the head of this drug organization essentially at one point. So I want to get there, but I don't want to, I don't want to shortcut like the next step of this story. Can I please, can I please cut go. you off? I'm sorry. Yeah, go um, for it. While I was incarcerated, uh, the phone calls in there are $5 for 15 minutes. If you don't live in that immediate area, uh, zip code where you're, where you're um, incarcerated. So I was in a 614 Columbus uh, prison. Um, I lived in a 937 thing. I'm trying to think how much I can say. Um, basically, Google voice numbers. Everybody knows what those are, call yeah. forwarding, um, things like that. You could set those up for free and it would change uh, the cost for me to call my mom from $5 to $1. Mm. Well, I ended up selling those for $20 a piece, three for 50. You could wire the money, pay me in whatever miscellaneous things. Um, I did 3000 of those. Wow. Turned the whole camp into a, basically a dollar phone call camp to the point where global tell link lost an insane, not yeah. trying to, yeah, whatever. Um, I made a positive impact in my opinion because I think they were taking advantage of people, sure, um, sure. people's desire to talk to their family. You know? right, right. Um, and it was even, it was $15 to call out of state. It was like $30 for the Mexican guys to call to Mexico. Right. And it transformed all those into a dollar. So Holy cow. All right. So yeah, yeah. there's a lot there on entrepreneurism, entrepreneurialism <laughs> that we'll come to. Um, all right, so at this point you're about a year out. I'm going to guess, or maybe not even a year out, where you're where you're in the you're mired back in addiction. You're back with the social circle. We're probably within the, that first year after after being released. When does this when does this start to change for you, or did you did you still not hit your bottom at this point? Yeah, yeah we're years out. Um, so, <laughs> uh, from that, you know, you know, with with drug addiction and you know, no income, basically, um, it's petty crime. It's you know, uh, shoplifting, things like that. Um, so I, you know, eventually racked up, you know, charges that were going to cause me to go back to prison. Um, so from a, you know, friend will say, uh, Florida didn't extradite. Well, while I was in prison, my brother had gone to a rehab in Florida at the Salvation Army. And so I didn't necessarily think that I was, you know, strung out or whatever, but my desire to not go back to prison, I was like, hey, I'll definitely try this. Um... So I ended up flying down, you know, taking a red eye to, to Florida, um, knowing I was about to be indicted on a, a felony receiving stolen property or, you know, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I got into that program down there. That's where, like, the, at least the desire to get better, like, started. Um, I saw people who came from my situation and were at least making it. Like, they were surviving. They were happy. Um, they, they, they may have not been doing like, you know, crazy, awesome things, but they were in the sense of helping other people and, and they themselves not being, um, 
very unproductive members of society. Yeah. So. Why uh, your brother went into rehab in Florida? Did you ever consider doing that while you were in Ohio as you were going through it? Or were you just so like it wasn't really an awareness? Like you said, you didn't know you were strung out. Is that the issue? Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't a big enough problem to um, for me to feel that it needed addressed. How did his become? Uh, not to get too into it, but was there something different between you and your situation and his situation that made him go? Was it forced or... or uh, it wasn't forced for him. I think he hit his bottom quicker. Okay. You know, everybody has a different sure. you know, bottom or what they view to be. Um, and for him, he had kind of got to that point and gone down there. So how long were you in Florida? So I stayed down there for right over two years. Um, I had two years sober down there. I actually ran with the program like yeah. for it when I got and down you, there. But you, did you have an, an indictment? Were you charged in Ohio? Um, because they had never served me. It was just kind of a, a drifting But the second charge. you set back in the state, you would be served? Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I got really into recovery down there. Um, did AA, ended up sponsoring people. Um, I relapsed right at that two-year mark. And um, then, you know, like I, like I mentioned, when you when you get used to, when you get comfortable with a, a new low, you fall back into that really, really quickly. So since I was already, you know, shooting drugs in, in Ohio, I, you know, I fell right back into that when I relapsed in Florida. Um, so I battled with that for a little while down there, moved up to like Georgia with some, with a friend and then kind of worked my way back to Ohio. Well, I'd kind of gotten my stuff back together again you know, after rehab, after relapse. And this is where the next couple of years starts with just, you know, getting better, failing, getting better, failing. Um, but I had the desire to get better. I knew that it was possible and I knew it was something that I wanted because I liked who I was when I was sober. Wow. Um, and so <clears throat> coming back to Ohio to get back into the relationship I had prior to prison, um, a short period after, and then the same relationship I'm uh, in now with, uh, you know, my son's mother. Um, I knew that the pending felony was something to handle. Yeah. So, you know, I hired an attorney. Um, I thought, you know, it's been a, few, it's been a couple of years since this charge. Um, I haven't caught any new charges in the last, whatever, two years, two and a half years, three years. Um there's no way they're going to be that hard on me. It's like an $80 receiving stolen property. It should be a misdemeanor. Sure. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> so um, I show up to court with my attorney, and I've got my little suit, kind of what I would call a suit at that point in, in time. And uh, he gave me a quarter million dollar bond and threw me right in jail. Wow. Um, I, don't, I don't even pretend to understand that situation. But that'll screw up your self-worth. Yeah, um, yeah you've come, come so far. Yeah, yeah, in comparison to the lifestyle and the things that I was doing, um, plus the amount of effort I had put in to stop living that way, even though I hadn't been, you know, it wasn't 100% successful, um, it was still significantly in a better direction. Um, they didn't give a damn about that. So <laughs> I yeah. went straight to jail. Um Ended up going to jail for like three, four months to a, a program um, that, yeah, so that's why I do what I do now and we'll get into that, but yeah, yeah. that program sucks uh, or so, yeah, it probably still does. Um, I imagine it still does. Sure. Um, the They don't really know, in my opinion, what to do with people um, with drug addicts, so they just 
like kind of see if it works. Like here, try this new thing, try this out. Um, just put them here for a while. At least they're controlled. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, complete that program, get out on on house arrest, and um, yeah, stay sober for a little bit and relapse, and stay sober for a little bit, and um, basically, I don't. I don't know if you want any, no, yeah. any so, more questions. Or, yeah, yeah. So so there's a couple that, that are coming to mind. So so you went through this cycle of sober relapse, sober relapse. Um, I want to ask you about what you would say, like you just said a moment ago, the program doesn't know what to do with a drug addict. So if somebody has a loved one in their family that's that's struggling with opioids, especially right now, and it's still a crisis, a huge, huge crisis, or any drug addiction for that matter, like how do you, how do you, how should they deal, the, the program that you were in? How should they have dealt with somebody who has a drug addiction? Or how should somebody who's dealing with a loved one with an addiction right now uh, help them? What's the, what's the next best thing? I mean, obviously not shame them. So what do you do? Um, <clears throat> you know, and that's, that's really hard to, it's a really sensitive uh, subject for a lot of people. And it's a really hard thing. Um, what I'm doing now, um, it's trying to, you know, learn the, the best answer to that as possible. Mm. But I think trying to help somebody learn, um, decide what they, what they want, like, uh, come up with a goal worth pursuing, yeah. um, come up with their why, why, you know, like not, you know, I want to get sober because I have a son. It's like, I want to get sober because I don't want to, you know, die and make sure, you know, and destined my son to have a screwed up life. Sure, sure. And so it's just helping him come up with, you know, like, like what is worth pursuing, you know, and, and, and not to be too lofty, but be lofty with your goals. Um, yeah. Try to give them something that's more, not give them, try to help them come up with something that's worth pursuing more than, than the drugs. There's the physical, you know, mental, all the different, um, addictions to the drug. Yeah. Um, but you know, having the aspirations or even just feeling like you're worthy of having something else to pursue, you know, that's, that's where we start. How old is your son now? He's two, he's about to be three. Two, almost three. So this is uh, a few years ago, you have your son. Give me, what What was the situation there? Was this expected? Were you, did you and your, yeah. your girlfriend, uh, yeah. uh, try to have a kid together? Or? Yeah. Okay. Um, Were you sober at that point? Kind of give me the circumstances yeah. of that. So, <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to have a have a kid. I wanted to have a boy specifically. I got lucky on the first try. <laughs> um, so she has a, you know, I, we have a, a about to be eight-year-old girl. Um, her father sadly passed um, in, in a similar uh, circumstance. Um, and so... Um, Having her, she would have been, you know, like, what, three or four at the time. Yeah. Really wanted to have a boy. I figure, you know, let's get this ball rolling now. I've got an uncle with five girls. And I was like, man, if I keep <laughs> having girls, you know, at least we need to figure it out now and start this ball rolling. Get your boy. So yeah, yeah. I had my boy the first shot. No more kids. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got one of each. I'm happy. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, he was born in February 2019. Wow. And uh, 2018. Now, Goodness, have Hold you? On. Uh, if he's going to be three, it's 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, <laughs> man. And and uh, have you been? Have you been clean since? Um, so I was sober, you know, while she was pregnant with him. Um, 
And then I stayed sober, you know, when he was young, um, relapsed when he was uh, still an infant, you know, like six months old. Um, and that's that was a short relapse, but it was a significant one. Um, so that's when I overdosed. Um, I'd only been using for like a week and I was, I was being so careful though, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's fentanyl, you know, um, that's, that's the majority of the street opiate now. And whether you want it to be or not, that's what it is. Um, so I, I'd gotten some new stuff from somebody I didn't know very well. Um, just put a tiny bit in and I dropped my son off at my mom's to babysit him. And I was going to get some food at Taco Bell and, you know, at the drive through window or the order window is obviously a super convenient place. And um, uh shot up and that was it. Don't remember anything. Um, I was just, I do actually remember some of it. Whole other podcast though. Sure. Um, but yeah, wake up. We're basically, we're, we're, they're putting, like, they're rolling me into the hospital. They'd Narcan me, oxygen. They thought I was on some other stuff. They, they had trouble bringing me back for a little bit. Um, that and my dog was in the car and fought him off for a while. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> got my dog impounded. Um, yeah. So, no, but um, from that, that's what, I guess I thought I was invincible or something. You know, I didn't think I could die or I'd done so many drugs. I didn't think it was likely that. I would be the one that overdosed. Um, well, that was a, a severe overdose. Um, I had like the convulsions where your muscles are trying to pump oxygen back into your, you know, or your blood and into your extremities. Um, like there wasn't like this big feeling of like regret or I screwed up or um, anything like that. Um, and not to get like super biblical or anything, but Go for it. I think there's a part in the Bible where like when you die, your sins are forgiven to some extent. And it was some crazy like that where I didn't feel all the shame, all the um, weight of all the you know screwed up decisions I had made. You felt cleansed? I felt like, yeah, I was like, I know I, I, know I don't want to die. Yeah. Like, like I clearly do, you know, and I, I have a solid, you know, North Star now, like don't die and absolutely screw my, my son over. Like this little innocent baby, like he would be, um, he would have very low odds of success. Yeah. And um, and if I'm not going to die, I need to figure out how to change this situation because I've been poor, broke, um, struggling my whole life. Like just screw this, I'm over it. Like let's let's figure this, this out. This is your epiphany moment. This is the this is the now it's time to move forward um, and the, figure out how to move forward. What's the first thing you do? Um. Like the very, I mean, the very first thing I did was just um, like go home and sit um, and just reflect because it, it, it was hard. It was a lot to process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, my mom wanted to be mad at me and, if, you know, out of fear. And she was super upset. Sure. Um, and I had to explain to her, like, she, you know, now she's worried because that, that, that comfortable with your new low, yeah. you know, like. If you go right back to it, go right, right yeah, back to yeah. that point. Now yeah. this is going to be my new normal. Now I'm right. overdosing all the time, and I might not get lucky in a place where the person behind me would want to get pat, you know, would want to order their food. Right. I might be in a parking lot somewhere where nobody finds me for ten hours. Yeah, hundred um, <clears> percent. <throat> so, trying to explain to her why I'm so calm about it because, like, I don't, I don't feel I wasn't worried about that anymore. It's, mm. it, you know, I I knew that 
you know, I didn't want to die and I was going to sure as shit never shoot dope again. Yeah, right, um, right. Yeah. So I've managed to not do that. And right. Uh, the uh, uh, what about Bob? Have you seen that? Oh movie? yeah, All long time ago. Long time ago. Your death therapy cured me, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, you know, like everybody has their moment. That was your epiphany. Yeah, that... You're a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Darren Prince. He's uh, a recovering opioid addict. He's the uh, an agent for Magic Johnson. People. Like I've read that. his book. Yeah, yeah, aiming high. He um he talks about his God moment. He had a God moment in July second of 2008 or something like that. That sounds like your God moment is at least how he would describe it. Did you find One Life next or did One Life find you? Like what was the, so for, as, as we talked about in the intro, your story went from, we just, we've, we've got to your low. Yeah. You're, you're reflecting, trying to explain. I love the, 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 how you describe that. Like I didn't feel anything other than kind of clean or cleansed of whatever it, my, my life was. Light, great yeah. word, great word. So you, we know now today you, you're, you're an entrepreneur. You're, you're, you've taken those skills you talked about and you put them in play. You've got uh, businesses that you run. You've got property that you own, all of that stuff. And this is in a short, short time frame. We're talking in under two years, mm -hmm. essentially, that you've gone from where you were to now or around two years maybe. Um, but where does One Life come in? Kind of give me the timeline of events. Of Did you just start like looking at property and then, oh, I found One Life? Or what's the sequence? Yeah, so um – yeah, so that happened August uh, 2019. Uh, from there, I just, you know, I still had my, my tools from, you know, doing handyman work, um, you know, miscellaneous Craigslist jobs, things like that. I worked for, you know, a couple guys. Um, by the end of that year, I started to take on, like, I don't know, new projects or bigger projects, or maybe it was people now that I, you know, was doing better. Like my brother-in-law, he wanted to build an arcade. Hmm. That's a pretty expensive build, um, so I, you know, did it a lot cheaper. Um, but it was also building that relationship with my brother-in-law, who was, he's a school teacher. He's a great human. Um, I just wanted to spend more time with him, so I probably wouldn't even have cared if he paid me anyways. But, um, you know, now that I was trying, you know, now that I didn't want to die, it's like, you know, need to really focus on just anything positive. Yeah. Um, so the end of the year, I save up three grand, uh, mostly from that job. Uh, December 24th, I'm in the basement at my, the place we rent and I Google, you know, how do I invest $3,000? A uh, bigger pockets episode comes up. Um, and they, it's, you know, super entrepreneurial. Yeah. They're mentioning, you know, books at the end of it, rich dad, poor dad, richest man in Babylon. Um, and you know, I'm hyped at the end of that podcast <laughs> So I'm listening to, you know, uh, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad next, and then start just consuming Bear Pockets episodes. Um, I think it was only a couple in. It was uh, Tim and Pat talking about, um, shoot, I think it was the Tribe of Millionaires book. Probably, or, yeah. Um, yeah. It's about that time and, frame. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. And, uh, well, Tim mentions One Life Fully Lived and, you know, helping, you know, kids escape poverty and this and that. And I'm like, oh, well, that's Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, so I go and check it out and the roadmap was still online at that point. And I start filling that out. Um, and I did a vision exercise with, of theirs and it was, you know, where do you, you know, close your, you know, close your eyes where, you know, look out to when you're a hundred years old, you know, where are you? Who's around you? What's it feel like? What's there? Who's there? Um, I had never, First off, I never felt like I deserved to live to 40, you know, you know, let alone a hundred. Um, and then the thought of, you know, my kids and my grandkids and having, this is going to make me emotional, having a, a successful family yeah. that gets along and like functions and everybody's healthy and happy. And, um, 
I was the one that made that happen. Um, that messed me up, like in a good way. I know you know what I mean. Yeah, um, sure. I remember just like streaming tears on my face, writing this thing out. Yeah, and uh, that that gave me like even more drive um, than just you know you know like hey, I don't want this to happen. It's like oh well, now I really want this to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I started like you know diving in the the. COVID was just hitting. So one life had done a bunch of stuff online. So now I'm on all the zoom calls and I'm trying to learn everything I can, like a sponge. Uh, anybody you know, even mentions a book, I'm writing it down, listening to it. Yeah. Um, so with the skills I had, you know, real estate made sense. Um, first it was, you know, I started my company to rehab other investors properties so I could learn. Um, <clears throat> it's just amazing that, when you have goals and uh, purpose and whatever, um, it's amazing how fast things can happen. And I mean, steps can be skipped and all this other stuff. Um, so that all, you know, December, Christmas Eve, 2019, um, I'm trying to, you know, for time reasons, yeah, speed yeah. this up a little bit. Um, by March of 2020, I am buying my first four unit with a uh, with the guy who's rehabbing the house next to the one I'm renting. Incredible. Um, I'm not putting any money down. I'm doing the rehab in yeah. exchange for equity. Yeah. You found a way. Yeah. Um, before I'm done with that, we're you know I got three of the four units done with that. Um, there's a house that I actually used to break into and sleep in um, when I was homeless that I'm purchasing um, for twenty grand. Now that, you know, other people are seeing me, like, make some progress, they're wanting to help out, and that was super nice of them. Uh, <laughs> that was my dad. Yeah. Uh, he lo he loaned me the 20 grand to borrow that, or to buy that house at, uh, with 5,000 interest. Wow. Don't get me wrong. 5,000 interest? Wow. 25%. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'll hey, take you, it. You got it. You yeah. got it. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it. Yeah. I wouldn't change it at all. Um, so then, you know, before I'm even done with the, with our first investment property still as a, you know, uh, renter, um, I've got tenants in that one. Then I'm buying my own house. Now I'm rehabbing my own house. Um, and then getting to another property after that. Now, you know, and so right now I've got 10 doors. Um, I've got my house with no mortgage on it. Um, actually coming up on two years in June, I'll be able to sell it. I still haven't been able to get a, uh, get a loan against it because of, you know, my unconventional, you know, self-employed sure, banks aren't sure. really huge on that. So, but I'll own it for two years. I bought it for 20. I've put almost 50 into it now. Yeah. Um, but it's worth with, you know, recent appreciation, like 150, 155,000. Wow, that's so. amazing. That's a lot of money sitting there that can be used. Absolutely. <laughs> to expand and grow and keep going. Do you worry about, at this point, do you worry about any, uh, does, it, does it creep in your mind, the demons relapsing, any of that? I mean, is it, is it, are you so clear on where you're going in your vision that that's not, just, just sort of like in the past, it's not there, or does it still haunt you? Uh, not, I mean, <clears throat> No, I don't, I don't, you know, pr uh, prior times getting sober, I would have nightmares where I used and screwed something up and things like that. I haven't had that in, since the overdose. Um, for me, I don't feel like it, obviously it's something I guard myself against, but with all the self-improvement that comes with, you know, working on yourself or entrepreneurship, um, 
staying in that zone, I've, I feel pretty comfortable. And any flags that get brought up, I notice it more. I notice it quicker than I would if I was just trying to stay sober. Yeah. Um, if I'm, you know, irritable or I'm not connecting with my kids well or me and Ayla aren't getting along, um, those things stick out a lot sooner because of all the other practices in place um, trying to optimize my life. Makes sense. So Makes sense. Um, what's five years from now look like? What are you, what's your big vision? What's your goal for the next three, four, five years? Yeah, so it's going to be getting into, you know, I, I think the – for the next, let's say, two to three, four years, it's going to be in the smaller apartment complex. We're going to stay in that. Right now, we're looking in the, you know, eight to fifteen range. Um, but I'm working myself out of. I do all the management still right now. I do all the rehab or I run the crew, um, rehabbing. Um, I want to work myself out of that because I don't intend to raise my kids in Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, we want to come out here to the Rockies. We like Idaho. We like yeah. Utah. Any of this this area. So. Um, and then really hone in on the data that we're starting to get. So we're on our third round with um, One Life, yeah. uh, with the addiction uh, addiction recovery group that that I started with them, um, or for them specifically. Um, I really want to figure out what makes that so successful. Yeah. Um, we've had three people start businesses. Oh no. So like one out of each person or one, one out of each, each group group. Yeah. 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 Um, my bookkeeper. Oh yeah. Uh, she, she started her own bookkeeping business. Amazing. Yeah. Man. So you're That's making, cool. now you're starting to make that impact. I want to take what worked for me because yeah, it worked. Yeah. Like the 13 years it took me to get out of, you know, the, the criminal justice system. And then in like you, like you just said, in such a short amount of time to be able to, to completely turn my life around. Those were just tools and skills that I didn't have that nobody taught me. Right, so right. teaching that to other people and finding out how to really deliver that message, that's what, that's the impact I want to bring to the addiction recovery space that I think is just drastically needed. Amazing. In the interest of time, we'll have to leave it there, but there's more <laughs> questions to ask, man. I'd love to dive deeper on some of this stuff. Maybe we'll have you back for another round because uh, uh, there's we, we, we did the short version, the long version of your background, the short version of your current and future, but to get into some of the stuff that you're about to do, I think it'd be really cool to do this again. So, But is there anywhere you want to direct people? I don't know if, you're, if you have a, a social media handle you're looking uh, for people to follow or if it's maybe a foundation you support, like One Life, anywhere you want to direct people to learn more. Yeah, absolutely direct them to One Life. That's that's, those are my people. So that's one life fully lived.org. One life fully lived. The number, the number one life fully lived.org, right? Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Sterling, man, thank you. It's amazing. I have the honor to be here. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that $1 to $5 million range, or our champion division at $5 million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.